Welcome to the markets. Hello again, Orion Samuelson along with Max Armstrong here with you for our weekly look at market activity and can it get any more exciting? That's the question we ask almost every week. But this week was one of those that you only hope to see once or twice a year because of the sharp sell-off and then the sharp rebound. So let me begin. Dateline Chicago, Friday, August 16. And the numbers, Dow Jones ended the day up 307 points. That's one and a fifth percent. It ended at 25,886. The S&P 500 up 41 points, nearly one and a half percent at 2888. And the NASDAQ ended the day up 126 points, one and two-thirds percent at 7893. But for the week, the S&P 500 fell a little over 1%. The Dow dropped 1.5%. The NASDAQ down a little over three-quarters of a percent. And the major U.S. stock indices posted losses for the third straight week. So let's take a look at this final day of trading this week because the stock market rebounded as an ebbing bond rally and news of potential German economic stimulus brought buyers back to the equities market. That closed the book on a tumultuous week where you never know what kind of news will have a big impact on the market. While all three major stock averages ended the session higher, they still logged their third consecutive weekly losses, having been rattled since Monday by growing China-U.S. trade animosity, simmering geopolitical tensions, and signals from the bond market that sparked fears of impending recession. But then today... Germany's coalition government said it's willing to suspend its balanced budget rule and take on debt, raising hopes that Europe's largest economy could steer itself away from recession and cooling worries over the global economic slowdown. One analyst in New Jersey said the market is looking for some positive news to take into the weekend. David Carter, chief investment officer at Lenox Wealth Advisors in New York, agreed, but he said the underlying anxieties remain. He said it was a great headline, but further analysis may eventually create uncertainty and weaken markets. The level of uncertainty around the world is rising significantly, and there's no clear end in sight. German stimulus hopes helped the benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury yield rise from three-year lows, closing the book on a difficult week which saw 10-year yields dip below those of two-year notes. And uh, to a lot of economists, that is the classic recessionary red flag. But rising bond yields did give a boost to rate-sensitive banks, sending the bank index for S&P up 2.5%. And all 11 major sectors of the S&P 500 closed firmly in the black today, 
with industrials, technology, and financials enjoying the largest percentage gains. NVIDIA Corporation jumped over 7% after the chipmaker's quarterly results beat analyst estimates. Deer & Company cut its earnings forecast after missing the Wall Street profit estimates in the face of the ongoing China-U.S. trade war, but still the farm equipment maker's decision to cut costs sent the stock up 3.8% today. General Electric, after that challenging day yesterday, climbed a little over 9% today after Chief Executive Officer Larry Culp bought nearly 2 million shares in the wake of that uh, company's worst one-day percentage drop in 11 years yesterday. The second quarter earnings season approaches the finish line, with 459 of the companies in the S&P 500 having posted results, and of those, 73% beat Wall Street estimates. Analysts now see S&P 500 second quarter earnings growth of 2.9% year on year. Looking at a couple of the other markets, uh, the oil market. Yes, oil today uh, rose alongside the stock market, but downbeat OPEC outlook capped some gains there. Brent crude ended today and the week up 41 cents for the day, $58.65 a barrel. And U.S. crude up 40 cents to settle at $54.87 a barrel. So that's just a little bit of what happened this week in the stock market. Now let's take a look ahead to see what's on schedule for next week. We begin on Tuesday with home improvement chain Home Depot, expected to report an increase in its second quarter same-store sales as its expanding line of professional equipment brings in more high-spending builders and handymen, and investors will pay close attention to any commentary the company gives on the effects of potential tariffs and the outlook for the U.S. home building market this year. Then the next day, on Wednesday, Lowe's, like larger rival Home Depot, also expected to report an increase in second quarter same-store sales, boosted by customers spending more to spruce up their homes in a sluggish U.S. housing market. And on that same day, Nordstrom's second quarter revenue and profit are expected to fall as the company continues to increase promotions in stores to attract shoppers in what continues to be a very tough retail market. Salesforce.com expected to report a rise in second quarter revenue on Thursday, helped by rising demand for its cloud-based products. The software maker has been spending billions in buying companies like Tableau and Israel-based Click Software to fight off rivals such as Microsoft, Oracle, and SAP. Wednesday, the Federal Open Market Committee scheduled to issue minutes from its July 30 
to thir- and to 31 meeting, the European Central Bank scheduled to publish the account of its July 24 to 25 policy meeting on Thursday. And back to company earnings reports. Medtronic will report first quarter earnings on Tuesday when the medical device maker is also expected to raise its full year profit forecast. Big box retailer Target set to post a ninth consecutive increase in comparable store sales in its second quarter on Wednesday, benefiting from its investments in store remodeling and delivery services. A uh, U.S. luxury home builder on Tuesday, that's Toll Brothers, expected to post lower third quarter revenue and profit, partly due to bad weather in North Carolina that hurt home sales. On Tuesday, department store operator Coal Corporation expected to post a drop in second quarter same store sales. And on the same day, off-price retailer TJX Companies expected to post an increase in second quarter revenue. On the U.S. economic calendar, the National Association of Realtors on Wednesday expected to show existing home sales for July have risen 2.5% to an annual rate of 5.4 million units. On Friday, Commerce Department expected to report new home sales rose uh, to 647 million a thousand units in July. That would be up from 0.646 the previous month. And uh, then we started all on Monday with uh, a lot of foreign news coming our way. Royal Bank of Canada expected to report its third quarter results. The three-day summit of group of seven leaders will begin in the French coastal resort of Biarritz on Wednesday. Hot-button topics are Boris Johnson and his Brexit strategy, and it may be the first time he meets EU leaders since becoming the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. They'll also be talking about the Iran nuclear accord and U.S. efforts, they say, to drive a wedge through Europe, taxing digital giants. So a lot going on next week in the way of reports from companies and also reports from economic meetings taking place around the world. It's always a pleasure when we welcome Richard Brock of Brock Associates into our studio to talk agricultural markets, and that's going to happen as he sits down with Max Armstrong in the studio, and we continue on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Richard Brock back in the studio with us. Brock Associates. We earlier this year were drawing a lot of comparisons with previous years. We can't do that with any year anymore, can we? Making any kind of a 
analogous comparison here? I, I don't think so, Max. I mean, you know, the crop got planted so late. We have a lot of uh, prevent plant acres. And I think this is going to be a guessing game all the way into October uh, as to what these yields are going to be. Now, with that said, I know a lot of farmers don't want to believe uh, the August crop report. I think based on what is going on at the time, I think it's accurate myself. I mean, I think the corn numbers are accurate on the planted acres. And people was earlier were saying, well, we can't have that many acres with all the prevent plant. Well, you take a look at what um, came out as prevent plant. We've had 11.2 million acres on corn and 4.3 million acres on beans. And you look at the states where it occurred, you know, the big ones, um, South Dakota and Illinois, uh, I don't see how anybody can really argue with these numbers. I, th- I think they're pretty accurate. Uh, Indiana, same way. And so we had a lot of, uh, of land that didn't get planted. And, you know, but, you know, looking around the country and traveling a lot here in the last uh, 10 days, uh, the corn crops come on very fast. Uh, you know, the genetics is really going to make a difference there. And uh, while some can argue with the USDA's uh, estimated yield of 169.5, and I would say it's a little bit on the high side, uh, but, you know, I think 166 to 167 is pretty reasonable. Really? You think so? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, look, we're going to have uh, very high yields in, in, um, in Nebraska. And in most of Iowa, not all of Iowa, there's some spots in Iowa that are pretty bad. Um, most of Minnesota is going to be okay, although, you know, there's spots there too. Uh, and then, well, some states, which are not big players, I was just in Tennessee last week. Uh, they're going to have record corn yields in Tennessee. Tennessee, western Kentucky, very western strong. Kentucky, yeah. very strong. And our clients in the Mississippi Delta have already started harvest, uh, most of them, and they're reporting record yields in the Delta. And so, you know, a lot of the poor yields are going to be offset by uh, some really uh, large ones. But in order to turn this corn market around, I really think you have to have a yield at 163 or less. Anything above that, you know, I, I, I'm in the camp that we just made at least a three-year top in the corn market. I, I think it's going to be really difficult to get this market back to where it was a month ago. So the opportunity that we had uh, there briefly in July. Yeah. Is you know, not going in, in to our own case, soon. you know, and marketing results are going to be all over the board this year. Um, in our case, we w- went in the report 50% priced on this year's corn and 20% on uh, next year's corn. And I think we were too conservative, and I know a lot of farmers thought we were crazy doing that. You know, and the other end of the spectrum, uh, I've watched uh, even in our own uh, introducing brokerage firm, uh, farmers who do their own marketing and, and don't listen to us uh, went in this report long futures. Now, if you went in this report long futures, um, we'll call it Texas hedge, you know, you're long the field, long the board. I mean, you can destroy marketing results real quick doing that. I, I just don't think it's a, you know, if you didn't want to be short, then be out. But, um, you know, this is going to have a reversal of fortunes, unfortunately, for a lot of people. I had a farmer tell me, a northern Illinois farmer, said he had been out looking at at some of his corn. And he said, uh, I'm swearing you to secrecy here, but he said, it looks like it could be a very good yield. But, 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 he underscored, everything has to fall in place from here on out. He's got to be able to get that crop mature. He has to have moisture for it yet. And he still needs the heat for it. 
Well, yeah, I can understand that. And a lot of people say, yeah, well, what if we get an early frost? You know, if you base all your marketing decisions on what ifs, you're never going to get anything done. You know, I mean, you got to spread it out. I, you know, people may not want to be as aggressive as we've been, but it depends on where the farm is. You know, if you're in Tennessee, Mississippi, you can be really aggressive because you're close to harvest in those states with record crops. You know, would be that aggressive in South Dakota? No. Um, you know, it's you know, it's it's kind of like uh, real estate prices, location, location, location. You got. Uh, it, it's hard doing general recommendations in marketing this year because no one falls into the same uh, category. And so it's been very, very difficult for firms like ours to try and say, look, we're going to 50% price. For some of you, that might mean 70. For some of you, it might mean 30. And uh, you got to read between the lines based on uh, the pr- production of, of the farm. No one size fits all marketing this year, you're saying? No, not at all. And, you know, and even, you know, like next week, you know, the. Uh, Pro Farmer Tour uh, will be uh, taking place. Uh, I, I don't see how we're going to get any accurate information out of crop tours uh, next week. Uh, the crop's too far behind. Uh, you know, whatever comes out of there will probably be a bullish number because of the maturity of the crop. Uh, so, you know, hope something good comes out of it, but it's going to be very difficult with the maturity of, uh, of the crop right now. The crop that worries me more than anything else you know, put me on a debate team, I could probably argue uh, more strongly for bullish case in soybeans than, than in corn, just because this most of the beans got planted so late, you're looking at basically double crop yields uh, for soybeans, they're way behind. So if anything is suspect to uh, an early frost uh, and low yields, I think it's soybeans and not corn. One grower not far from where we're sitting here in the Chicago area told me... Uh, earlier this week, his beans were no more than, I think he said, thigh high. And uh, he said, you know, they've got quite a ways to go yet. Yeah, they um, they are way behind. You know, this morning, um, I, I flew from Milwaukee to Chicago. Just I wanted to get a crop tour, and I knew I, I would be low to stay under the incoming traffic to O'Hare. And uh, everything looked really green that was planted. I mean, I saw a lot of prevent plant acres on the way down. Uh, but, you know, I can't, even from 4,000 feet, you can't tell how high the, the soybeans are. Uh, but uh, but they're green, but they're way behind. And, and uh, you know, I don't know if soybeans can catch up like corn or not. I'm not an agronomist. Corn does catch up. Uh, but soybeans, uh, they got a long way to go to, for maturity because uh, they were planted so late. Generally, in the month of August, we see the condition ratings on corn fall week mm-hmm. to week. And in most years, that happens. You'll, you'll see it ratchet down. Are we not likely to see that uh, this year simply because of the lack of maturity? Uh, I think it's probably true. It, it'll ratchet down some. Uh, uh, and, you know, th- these the crop ratings, and I follow them just like you do and everybody else, it's very entertaining. There's really no correlation between final yields and, and crop ratings. I, it, ju- it just never works. Uh, but it does provide a lot of entertainment on a week-by-week basis. Trade sure follows it a lot, Trade it seems follows like. it and influences the market for a few minutes. Uh, but um, Put in perspective that rain of this past week as it occurred through southwest Wisconsin, mm-hmm. a large swath of central Missouri. You looked at Illinois. There were some amounts of two to three inches and a wide swath from Springfield down to Mount Vernon, Illinois, over to St. Louis. 
There was a good, strong band from LaSalle, Peru, Illinois, yeah. up toward southwest Wisconsin. But there were others that were missed. But, but it, that was an, a, a very meaningful rain for some farmers, wasn't it? It's going to be very helpful uh, to some of them. It was very, very needed. Um, but, you know, as we discussed earlier, you know, we need some more timely rains. And, you know, you don't finish a corn crop out and a soybean crop out without having moisture in the ground. And so we're in a critical yield development stage right now in both crops. And uh, So the forecast, so, the weather forecast, remains quite critical, it not, not only from a standpoint of a possibility of an early frost, but to get the heat and the moisture that is needed to that's correct. move it along. Yeah. I mean, you know, now, okay, here we are mid-August. Um, we're looking at some crops with a maturity of mid-July, you know, and... Uh, and so we all know how important July weather is. So uh, August uh, weather is now uh, crucial. And uh, and it will be the first two weeks of September as well. So we have, in the minds of many producers, two crop reports, back-to-back reports, significant reports that are un- unbelievable. I mean, you still, regardless of what you said earlier, there are a lot of growers who don't believe what we saw from USDA earlier in this month of August. Uh, what does that do to us as we look toward September 12th? Well, those who don't believe won't believe in September either, you know. And But you don't want to be in the way of a, of a government report anymore, do you? No, you don't. Um, you know, I must say we were, were nervous going into this report. We were, like I said, 50% priced. But what we do in a report like that to protect uh, our clients is we, uh, and it's an easy thing to do, uh, you use what's called short-dated call options. I mean, it's like buying term insurance versus whole life insurance. Right. And we did on our entire corn and bean position going into this report, and it gives you uh, a comfort uh, going into the report. And what happened this time around, you know, we paid $0.09 cents for a, um, a short-dated corn call, and so, basically, when that report came out, that went to almost zero, three-quarters of a cent. But the corn futures were against it were down 25 cents. So, make 25 cents on one hand, lose nine on the other, that's a pretty good day. And you can do that and still be able to sleep nights. I, my objective in marketing has always been one that I want a plan that allows me to sleep. Uh, I don't want one that, that's going to worry me. And, uh, you know, so some farmers will just say, well, I'm not going to do anything. Well, I, I wouldn't be able to sleep with that. I mean, the, these are markets where you, you want to make a lot of little decisions and not many big ones. Sage and, advice. And it's going to be that way the rest of this growing season, I think. I would imagine bankers want to see that stance, too, do they not, in many instances? Yeah, and I think what's going to be concerning here is if I was a banker and I'm uh, all of a sudden I find out that the farmer that I'm banking has a hedge account, but he was long futures in the hedge account rather than using it to hedge, uh, that's going to cause some issues, I think. And uh, I, I th- I'm afraid that too many uh, people got caught on the long side of this market. And then it also brings in tax issues because that if you get audited, that that's looked at as a pure speculative position and uh, and any losses will be disallowed. And so, you know, most people look the other way. I think the temperature started climbing in the studio it, here. I'm starting it, to sweat listening it, to you talk about it. I mean, it's, it's going to cause some issues. If yeah. a person, you know, normally, though, I mean, from a practical point of view, IRS doesn't care unless it's a big loss, a big write-off. I remember back in the 80s, this was a major, major problem for a lot of people. Uh, got caught in the long side of futures and lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. That That raises some red flags. 
And uh, ironically, in most cases, they don't even – a farmer can say, well, I'm buying back corn I've already sold. Uh, that doesn't fly either. That's um, still looked at uh, by most auditors as a, as a speculative position. So you've got to be very careful uh, when, you're, when you're making moves like that. Well, one thing, coming back to what you were talking about earlier, if that yield, corn yield is there, we get the crop to maturity, let's, let's assume that everything falls into place, there should be some decent off-the-combine yield reports coming at harvest time. Whatever that harvest is. Yeah, whenever it is. You know, it's too early to tell right now. Like I said, you know, the Delta's harvesting corn right now, and yields are coming in very good there. But, you know, percentage-wise, not much of our corn crop really comes out of the Delta. Uh, and in and, and Tennessee and Kentucky, they've all got great crops. But, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. You know, I, I don't even know if the corn crop is mature enough uh, this year for some of the farm shows. Like, um you know, next week I'm going to be at, at Dakota Fest up in Mitchell, South Dakota. Um, be speaking there uh, for DeKalb Asgrow. and you know, then the week after that is um, is the big show in Illinois. And I think it's in Illinois this year. The King of Illinois. They yeah. plan to be yeah. running combines. And there. you know, is the, that's the question: Is the corn mature enough in either one of those areas to be running combines? Well, yeah. probably not for many of the farmers, for sure. But yeah. for demonstration purposes, they plan to run the combines. Yeah. Mitchell, the South Harbor, Dakota. So. I, I mean, that, you know, that, that area is way behind. Right. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting. So I'll be up there Tuesday and Wednesday of next week, and uh, I, I hope to see some combines running. But we'll see. Appreciate you coming in, sir. Thanks for the time. Max, always good being here. Richard Brock, Brock Associates. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here here to help. I first visited China back in 1976. I have been there 10 times since, and the one thing I learned on my first trip that still applies now is you can't really trust the Chinese in the information they give you, whether it be purchases or what they're going to buy or any other news when it comes to agriculture because it is such a large agricultural community. So that's why I guess I shouldn't have been surprised when back on August 5th, China's Commerce Ministry said that Chinese companies stopped buying U.S. farm products. But now, as we take a look at what actually happened since the 1st of August, China made its biggest purchases of U.S. pork in seven weeks last week, as uh, the world's largest pork consumer bought 10,211 tons of U.S. pork during the period August 2 through 8 for shipment this year. That's because of the impact of the African swine fever. But uh, the sales are a sign that China needs meat from the U.S. to offset the deaths of millions of pigs in that outbreak. 
the uh, tariffs have slashed exports of U.S. crops, including soybeans and sorghum, prompted the Trump administration to compensate American farmers for losses over two years with as much as $28 billion. But uh, as we take a look at some of the other purchases, U.S. exporters shipped 599,340 tons of previously purchased soybeans to China in the week ended August 8, and that was the largest week of shipments since late February, according to the USDA. The other big news that happened this week, a beef packing plant burned to the ground in Kansas. And margins of U.S. beef processors climbed to a record high today as the closure of that Tyson Foods slaughterhouse due to the damaging fire fueled concerns about a shortage of hamburger meat and steaks. The indefinite shutdown sent meat buyers for restaurants, food service companies, and grocery chains scrambling for beef according to traders, because the sprawling facility in Holcomb, Kansas, killed about 6,000 cattle a day, or about 5% of the total U.S. beef slaughter. Oh, you never know what's going to hit the markets and cause a tremendous change in what's going on. So uh, we ended the week in the grain trade today with prices generally higher, for wheat, corn, and soybeans. Not by a lot, except soybeans were up eight and a quarter cents in November and September corn up ten and a half cents in today's grain trade. Livestock futures pretty much a red screen there with December lean hogs down the three dollar daily limit. So that's a quick catch up on what we watched in the markets this week. We thank you for joining us. We'll be back again next week and hope you'll join us on The Markets.